Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to remind my lovely listeners that my book, Millennial Love, which is based on this very podcast, is out now. It combines memoir with social commentary and interviews with previous podcast guests. You can pick up a copy from all good bookshops. Now onto the episode. I'm very excited this week to be joined by Will Young. We talked about the shame we attach to sexuality as a society and how Will was encouraged to keep his own sexuality a secret when he entered into the public eye as a pop idol contestant in 2001. We also discussed the positives and negatives of labeling one's sexuality and what the music industry can do to be more inclusive and adapt to contemporary attitudes towards gender. Enjoy the show. Hello, Will. How are you doing? Sorry, I'm late. Very. Late. <laughs> I've sort of moved beyond lateness, haven't I? Really, it's, it's a whole other. <laughs> <laughs> You're worth waiting for. It's totally fine. It's no, totally fine. Thank you. <laughs> um, can you start us off by talking a bit about your new album, "Crying on the Bathroom Floor"? Well, it's a covers album. I knew I wanted to do an an album covering female artists. And then, and then I kind of knew that I didn't want to do obvious covers. Um, I suppose sometimes I think, why don't you just do the obvious? What's wrong with the obvious? But um, I think it's just trying to make something a bit more interesting, you know, an individual. And um, and and then and then I started. I went in with with a couple of my members of my band um, and Richard X, the producer uh, came on board as well. And then we just started doing sort of little versions of, you know, like a verse and a chorus of various songs. And then it just started becoming apparent that there was a type of artist that I was, that was kind of working for this record, which was, I did a Bat for Lashes song, Daniel, and then I did, yeah, I love that song. I love that song. And then I did a Licky Lee song and then I did a Solange Knowles song and it just sort of suddenly going from Solange Knowles to Kate Bush sort of didn't seem right, you know. So then actually then the artists kind of started dictating the record, weirdly. Um, and um, and then Moona, um, which is the Crying on the Bathroom Floor um song and then I just thought that would be a really funny title for an album it's a great title for an album also we've all spent time crying on the bathroom floor particularly particularly when it comes to love (laughs) exactly but yeah so then then they kind of like it sort of all worked out quite quickly after that Mm, that's amazing and how did it feel kind of taking on the 
the songwriting of those women and kind of did you did you try and get into the headspace that they were in when they were writing those songs did you try and channel the same kind of feelings I didn't because I knew that I couldn't Mm. Um, so I mean for example I know that Daniel's written about Karate Kid which I just think Mm. is amazing um so I just kind of very naturally went with with really very deliberately very very little thought and lots of instinct um Mm. I just think is the best way to to go um you know very little thought in terms of what and why and how but obviously a lot of care um you know with what's working and what isn't and um songs like Elizabeth Taylor Claire Maguire song you know was immediately I think because I act as well it was just it's a bit like reading a script it was just very it was I was presented as you know something so what's amazing I've never said this before but what's amazing about because because acting like I'll read a script and I'll be like okay I get an idea and the better the script the more obvious her idea it is you know of what's going mm. on and what I would what I think I could do with it um but what's amazing about music is you get presented with a whole atmosphere as well so it's not just the words but it's the delivery of it and the music and so mm-hmm. like a song like Elizabeth Taylor just felt sort of this amazing kind of like grandiose sort of tragedy and mm. and and for me I can I just was in it immediately, you know, mm. in it just immediately. So I just was like, well, I know what I'm going to do with this one. Yeah, mm. it's very, I think, I think out of anything, any art form of art, I think music can elicit the, the strongest emotions, I think, yeah. can't it? Yeah, because there's so, there's, there's so, so much in it, isn't there? Because there's, there's voice, there's word and there's, you know, music going on in the background. Mm. So it's sort of three in one. Um mm. Yeah, so it's very evocative. Um, mm. And then others, you know, Richard X would sort of work his magic. And, you know, one of the ones that I love, actually, is the Licky Lee song, because it's so different from what it is. And 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 I'm really proud of what what he's what Richard's done on that. Cause it's really it's really interesting production. Um, mm. And it's the only way that I think we could have done that song because otherwise it would have just been a bad version of the original. Mm. Now, I I could talk to you about music all day because it would be very fun, but (laughs) we are here to talk about relationships and love and sex and dating. So I guess I want to start off that portion by kind of talking about your book that came out last year, To Be a Gay Man. Um, You write about so many important subjects in that book. I think particularly the kind of hook of it was you were talking about gay shame and Mm. how for years you felt like your sexuality was something to be ashamed of. When, when did that shame kind of start for you and how, how has it kind of mutated over the years? Yeah. So I wanted to write a book on gay shame and I wanted to do it in a way that was relatable. um, And other, and I didn't, you know, I sometimes I think reading books that are written by a psychotherapist, but a psychotherapist who isn't necessarily relating their own story, you know, can be not relatable. Um, so the only way 
that I thought I could write a book on gay shame was to kind of forensically track where, at what stages, how, why, how would it, where would it sit in my body? How would it, what would it make me think? You know, it would, where it would come in at various stages in my life. Um, so I would say from like the age of four, um, you know, it, it started coming in. Um, and that ties in with senses of, you know, gender norms, um, sticking to, you know, boys do this, girls like this, um, who I, you know, I knew I was sensitive. I wasn't very sporty. Um, as a young kid, I ended up being quite sporty, but I wasn't, you know, my knees knocked when I rang. When I ran, I had a lisp, I wore glasses. Um, and I fancied Bobby Ewing and uh, not Pam. And, you know, so very young. Um, but it was really interesting to write. Um, how's it muta- mutated? Um, well, it's, I mean, shame in general is the most horrific um, life-killing emotion. Um, because the very thing that we need to do when we feel shame is to connect to others, but it's the very last thing you want to do. Um, so it's a very tricky kind of catch-22 shame. And I describe it as like a sort of black, tarry substance. And it's, you know, some people talk about, you know, destruction of the soul and, you know, soul yeah, soul destruction. And it, and it can do that. Um, when I then kind of learned about the topic of gay shame and what it was, because also then it all makes sense. You know, it's like growing up, knowing that one's very different, existing on the peripheries of heteronormative society. Also the times I was growing up in, you know, being told you're evil, all the messages that are coming through from doing Bible classes to then I was a child of the 80s. So I would, you know, be watching adverts about HIV and AIDS on the, on the TV, very scary adverts. Um, you know, that, that all those messages were that you're not going to have a nice life. Um, when I learned about the topic of what gay shame was, and that even though once you've come out, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've dealt with all the backlog of self-hate um, and internalised homophobia, um, you know, then I worked through it. And, and the point of the book is also that I show how I worked through it. And... Um, you know that and came could have came through it Mm. you said it was interesting to write what what did you find most interesting about it and was it was it difficult for you to kind of tap back into those moments of so much shame from your childhood when I Mm. suppose you didn't even realize that you had a right to to feel the way that you were feeling yeah it was I think if I hadn't done the work I wouldn't have been able to have, have done it authentically or maybe if at all um, and what was interesting about it was because I was doing it from a mindful place, um, you know, I'd sort of sit and I'd be like, right now I'm aged 16 and I literally just float. There's a saying in somatic therapy, which is when you do body based therapy, particularly for trauma, so our body holds on to traumatic energy. So you sort of bypass the mind. So I'd sort of sit, sit and float myself back to being 16 shut my eyes and I'd be like oh 
oh, that's not a nice feeling, <laughs> you know? And then I'd go with it. So I'd be like processing it myself. I'd be like, oh, dear. Oh, God, that's not nice. You know, and then I'd write. I'd write and be like, oh, I remember this. And I remember what it felt like. Um, you know, one of the things I, I talk about is, um, you know, I, I genuinely felt like I was the most disgusting, like perverted person because I fancied my friends, my male friends. And I went to an all boys school and I used to look at their penises in the showers because I fancied boys, you know, so that's what you do. Like if I was 15 straight and I showered with girls, then I'd look at the girls' boobs. But, you know, I looked at the boys' willies because that's what I fancied. But it was kind of a revelation because I was like, well, of course I did because that's that's what I fancied. So once, because I was coming at it now from a place of like not feeling unnatural, not feeling wrong, it was like it was entirely natural. And it was really interesting to own that and not be ashamed because this is the other thing about shame. And it's why I talk a lot about, um, you know, stuff that I can feel emotionally in my life because I own it for myself and hopefully give other people per permission to not feel ashamed of feeling anything other than happy and perfect you know, is own it and share it and speak it out. And so it was quite amazing that I was writing, you know, about staring at my friend's willies in the shower because I just would never have been able to have said that um, and and not be ashamed of it. So it was things like that were kind of like kind of amazing moments for me. Um, mm. And it was... And I genuinely just found it interesting because I was like, wow, that is how shame took hold then. Wow, that's what happened then. Um, anything is interesting. I have this, I used to have this therapist and she'd say, you know, be, be curious, be wonderfully curious about something, you know, which is one of those frustrating things a therapist said when you're like in deep emotional pain. Well, be curious about that, you know, <laughs> but actually annoyingly, I was kind of being wonderfully curious about it. Yeah, I think actually, I think that's such good advice. And you can apply that to so much like I, I will very often have a gut reaction to something that that maybe isn't that maybe is a, as a result of the way I've been conditioned to think. And now what I find myself doing more and more is when I have these thoughts that maybe aren't thoughts that I feel completely comfortable with, I kind of try and challenge myself and ask myself, well, why do I think that way and why is my gut reaction to slut shame this person on love island or whatever do you know what i mean it's like you have to just use that curiosity and try and question and un and that's how you unlearn yes. things yes and that's a brilliant that's a brilliant place to come from because it's really um then we're really taking inventory of ourselves and keeping our side of the street clean mm. which is a grip which is a true path to you know fulfillment I think yeah and it's all you can do um I think so yeah and so I want to ask you about when you came off pop idol it seems so weird that was so long ago how many years ago was that it's the 20th anniversary next year god I can't believe it's in 20 years so shortly after that um and correct me if I'm wrong here but you write about in the book how the mail on Sunday was going to publish a piece about your sexuality which up until that point wasn't public information how how did you feel when you found out that they were going to kind of take control of your life in that way and publish something that was so personal and private without your consent? Well, 
it's funny because first of all, you know, times were very different then, um, to a point. Um, and and what I mean by that is the power of the media, print media. You know, there was no social media around. There's no Twitter, no Instagram, no that. So it's very different. So the narrative, the only way that an artist could there was no YouTube, any of that, that could take control of their narrative was by either putting a statement out, a printed statement, or what, putting something up on your website? You know, it really wasn't, there was no, like, you know, um, easy, quick video um, or a tweet. So the media were a lot more powerful then um, and, and probably spanning all areas from celebrity music film to you know politics and the power that they held then um so it wasn't really a surprise in fact um in fact i i just sort of knew it would be the case because even going wanting to be a pop star being openly gay i knew that that was you know going to happen that someone would find out quite easily that I was gay and that if you're in pop people seem to be interested in people's private lives so so actually I was always going to talk about being gay but but in a um in a different way um but the with a broadsheet but um it didn't... would you have pref- would you have preferred to do it in in an interview setting and just kind of offer that information up yourself as opposed to it being because I I, I'm, I think I know what you're getting at, as opposed to it being this kind of big expose because yeah, obviously that sensationalizes it yeah and... exactly I actually just I think I probably would have preferred to have not even made it an issue and even at the time I remember thinking this is so boring you know I do remember thinking my god you know there's wars going on and poverty and this really is just so boring Mm. Um, and unnecessary and unnecessarily stressful um but in terms of you know a a, a paper going we're gonna out someone um I think it it was interesting because actually even then at the time I don't think it was legally allowed to do it you weren't legally allowed to do it um but papers did um so it, it was it was kind of just I was just meant I had to just have lots of phone calls with my litigation lawyer at the weekend, which I was just like I'd rather be doing something else. Mm. But it was I know scary, you, you know, yeah. it, it was scary to because then also, you know, it was a sense of of actually of safety, you know, because I didn't feel safe as a gay man and if I couldn't choose how visible I wanted to be um, you know, it was it was scary. Um, mm. So that was probably the hardest thing about it. Um, that was probably the hardest thing. About mm. it. I think it's really important what you said about how it how it it's just boring because it should be boring to to talk about someone's sexuality because it shouldn't be this huge big reveal. And unfortunately, you know when when Philip Schofield came out, that was only what last year. And I remember, you know, I'm a, I'm a news reporter. That story was huge. Mm. It was 
huge. Everyone wanted to talk about it. It was the top of Google Trends. It was all anyone was talking about on Twitter for at least, I'd say, three days. It was like all we were made to write. It was like, is all that we were like, you know, kind of told to to focus on, you know, because it, because people wanted to read about it. And that was only, that was only like last year, I think. And it's just, it's sad. It's sad and disappointing that we're still at a point where that is such a big, important kind of conversation in quotation marks. Yeah. It's two different things, I think, because on one hand, you know, in the end of the day, I suppose someone who's in very much entrenched in the, in the public eye because of their job, and has, you know, it was newsworthy, wasn't it? And it was sort of almost made, I suppose it was made more newsworthy because it was addressed on live TV, you know. So uh, it was, the whole thing was seemed seemed quite an interesting episode. And I, I do agree with you, it sort of seemed perhaps a little bit more um, uh, dramatic you know, in terms of reactions and things. Um, uh, but that's, that's you know, people have to write about something, don't they? Mm. I, I hope that there wasn't as much sort of bigotry and, 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 and you know, the, the way that it was being approached as there, as there was, you know, years ago. I hope that that's changed. I like to think it has. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code program. Moving on to talking about gender identity, I know you've said in an interview how you've previously been seen as kind of more feminine and how, you know, occasionally people would mistake you for a woman on the phone. How how has that affected your sense of self when it comes to your gender? Do you think of it as do you think of it as a fluid kind of evolving process? Because I think that's a really important conversation that we have been having more and more recently um you know long awaitedly so where where are you kind of at with that for me um I do identify as a male um I'm 
I do, I, I love, for quite a few years now, I've sort of, I've always liked the looking at my sort of maternal part. Um, and the reason I disseminate between paternal and maternal is I just look at nature and I just think of the lioness and I'm just like, she's badass. So, you know, and sometimes I will be like a lioness, you know, and I hate people being bullied. I hate young people being um, uh, what's the word, you know, um, not looked after. I hate the, the damage that can happen to young people. And I get like the lioness. So I've really enjoyed embracing that side of me for quite a while now. Um, and, and so that's in terms of fluidity, um, I've always found a lot of power in that. Um, mm. And in fact, you know, I do quite often bring out that side of me energetically and, and, and I, and I enjoy it mm. uh, and it's a very strong sort of forthright, but very natural sense of just like, this is just going to be the way it's going to be, you know, and it's amazing how people, it's just an energetic thing, you know, mm. in terms uh, of how you relate to other people in terms of well, like, caring for your friends. I remember a shaman years ago was telling me about the use of, of the Jaguar and how, you know, maybe if you're in a meeting, just plop your Jaguar on the table in front of the people, um, you know, and and that's what I do. If I'm in a meeting and I don't feel safe, I'll just plonk my, you know, very um, protective female Jaguar on the table and it seems to have the required effect but it's very strange because it's just a it's just a thought thing you know it's a thought and an emotional thing but it really does empowers um, you oh yeah oh yeah 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 so um things like that but gender i think you know it's, it's amazing that people can now i think people are very respectful actually of i was having a conversation the other day about an artist and you know, myself and it was someone from a radio station, we were both using the correct pronoun. Mm. You know, we weren't doing it for show. It wasn't like we were, like, being recorded, you know? Yeah. Just, we were. Mm. Where do you think the music industry is at in terms of that? Because, obviously, it's it's constantly a kind of ongoing discussion about award ceremonies and the way that you know, the categories are divided into male and female artists, which obviously excludes people like Sam Smith, who identifies non-binary. And, you know, they are one of the few artists, I think, that, you know, it's 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 an emerging group of non-binary artists. But as that continues to grow, which I'm sure it will, it's going to become an increasing problem, isn't it? It's quite difficult, that, yeah. It really is difficult because at present, and, and I, I um, you know, profess to ignorance here, I I only know of a couple who who um, identify as non-binary in the UK who who would be up for Brit Awards, let's say. So I'm just sort of yeah. trying to simplify it. Yeah, but it's quite difficult, isn't it? Because it's sort of how much does something move around, or how do you reconfigure? I I, I like I like. 
I think it would be really difficult to have just one category. The only reason I'd say that is because I feel like there were less people will you know would win yeah that, for, yeah for what, exactly what that for what that you know for whatever whatever that means you know whatever mm. award ceremonies so i think it's a tricky one um yeah it's really complicated respect, you have to respect that so it has to be done in a way that um well you just have you know you have to you have to change things around and make it yeah. make it work yeah, I was talking to a female artist friend of mine who was saying, you know, she said the same because she was like, look, I know it's a problem, but also she said, you know, she doesn't want to be competing against men in the same category because then also she knows that there would be fewer women who win those awards because of the sexism that pervades the music industry. She was like, I want to compete against other women because then I know that more women will be guaranteed to have a space in that industry otherwise it would just be dominated by men and I wonder if if everything was grouped together in one category it would just be men that would be winning all of the awards well or I just think it would it would you know would be a much bigger category maybe there needs to be different that there is a way that it can be done um, mm. you know respectfully and um yeah but I mean no I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be on the Brits board you're like you're damned damned if you do you're damned if you don't (laughs) it's interesting what the people to speak to would be the people that are identifying as non-binary so someone like sam smith i don't exactly i don't know what they've said about it but Mm. assume they have an opinion on it and could maybe they would be the people to ask Mm. yeah no i completely agree and i hope they are being considered in it how do you think because you've been in the public eye for for as we as we discussed nearly 20 years now how has that affected your the way that you relate to your sexuality and and that kind of gay shame that you were talking about earlier because obviously being scrutinized in the press takes an emotional and psychological toll so how do you think that has impacted you in terms of in terms of your sexuality over the last few years and are you are you in a better place with it now well over the last few years I mean I mean well let's say even the last I mean five years in particularly I mean it's a huge difference it's what I'd say is like you only know what you know at the time so so if I look back on how things were 20 years ago the way that I could be treated as a gay man famous or not famous, just say as a gay man, full stop, is so different. And what I would put up with, you know, is so different to what I would put up with now. Um, so at each stage, it, it, the, 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 the way I viewed my sexuality would be, and whatever percentage of that was related to how safe I was as a gay man in the world, how what my legal rights were, um, you know, what recourse I had to report hate crime, you know, all those kind of things, however much that affected my sense of me as a wider person um, would be just what was going on at the time. Now, I'm very pleased that things are so different. Um, So I think it is but then there's getting older as well, you know, you just get, I get more kind of confident. And so I don't know if I felt 
consciously unhappy um, being a gay man in the early noughties in the UK, but I certainly feel consciously happy now that I have so much more um, empowerment. Um, and a lot of that has come from socio-political change. Mm. Um, so it's a much better place to be, I think, full stop. There needs to be a lot, you know, I think for transgender people, there needs to be, you know, they are probably 20 years behind. Um, mm. And it's not easy. And I think I'm pleased that people are looking at things like NHS funding. And, you know, I'm pleased those conversations are having to happen. And, and people might get bored of those conversations, but they have to become boring for so things are change. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's how to be. How do you feel about labels? Because I think this is, you know, people have very different views on it. And some people think, you know, labeling your sexuality and labeling your gender makes you safer um, in some ways. But then in other ways, there's an argument that it kind of further segregates and ostracizes people of minority sexualities and genders. How how do you feel about that? And yeah, it's an interesting in one, that one, isn't it? Because it's like, does it, how much does making it stand out and matter make it even more um, damaging in a way? Mm. And is is the sense of labelling something that I've just grown up in because that's what was that's what happened and you labelled you know stuff. I think for me where I'm at at the moment is that uh, being identifying as gay is a much wider thing than who I choose to love, um, and and I and I like that. You know, I like it's it's a sense of sensibility. It's it's what I like talking about. It's what it's it's so much more than just um, who I choose to love, and 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 so that's that's quite a brilliant brilliant thing. Um, I don't find it limiting, um, but at the same time, quite often I I sort of will forget that I'm gay. And I'll forget that I'm famous or I forget that I'm an Aquarius, you know. So it's I give it I give it importance when I really feel like it's 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 I feel like I want to give it importance and it's needed. Um, Mm. And and then I'm always really proud to do so. But I can see how labels can become even more ostracizing and more delineating and segregating Um, at the same time. You know, we all have points of difference and it's great to connect with others who share, you know, experiences through those points of difference. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I spoke to Jack Guinness about this a few weeks ago on the podcast about how, you know, so many musicians and Hollywood stars and people in the public eye are still concealing their sexuality because they are worried about how it will affect their job and their status. Um, what do you think needs to happen in the music industry, I guess, specifically for artists to feel safer coming out and talking openly about their sexuality? I, I hope that in the music industry, it's really not as as bad as it used to be. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of be surprised. Um, I know because of my acting, you know, how 
how different it is in the acting world. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, mm. I guess it's different in acting, isn't it? Because this is what I was saying with Jack, because in acting, it's the whole idea of, oh, a straight actor playing a straight role as opposed to a gay actor playing a straight yeah. role and vice, and vice versa. Yeah, well, I've, you know, lived with that for years, you know. It's like, so again, it's just, it, it, it's really bad. It's way more bad in the act. Mm. I, I do think finally it is actually beginning to change. Um, well, I, I think in music, people, unfortunately, once record companies realise that they can earn money out of something, then they change. <laughs> I mean, that's your, that's, that's, that, <laughs> I mean, it's it, isn't it? And it's the same. So they'll start realising, oh, actually, it doesn't matter because we can make money out of this, you know, mm. and, then they, and then they push it. And it's the same in the film world. Um, but there are people who do push envelopes um, and, you know, I think Lil Nas is doing amazing. Actually, his, his visibility is, is amazing, actually, for me. Mm. He, 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 I don't know. There's something. Well, he, he's quite amazing. Mm. I think, I think it, 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 the change comes, unfortunately, it will come from the artists and the visibilities and the actors. Um, you know, uh, the great thing about... I get a sense that people in the music world can be a little bit braver in terms of when they choose to really stick their head, among, you know, above the parapet. Um, I feel like people in the acting world, for whatever reason, it's like, how many more roles do you want to get? How much more money do you want to get? You know, mm. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah it's really it's really bleak to bring it down to money but you're so right I think in mm -hmm. every industry it boils down to like can we sell this and obviously that's what inhibits a lot of people from from talking about their sexuality openly because perhaps they've built a career based on the assumption that they're straight and that's mm -hmm. what has given them the success and therefore it's that risk of changing your public perception yeah, huge risk but the thing is I hope that it's 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 almost because it brings us back to what you you know when we were talking about the Sunday Mail at the same time, you know, there's no, I wouldn't want to be forcing someone to want to come out who, because for, I think if you're not comfortable with yourself, then maybe you won't be wanting to talk openly about your sexuality anyway. I mean, there was, there was an actor who I won't tell you the name of, but I actually, <laughs> actually, actually effectively outed this person to their publicist. Oh God! In America, but the person was so known in this country that I didn't think anything of it, and you know, I just thought it was absolutely—I thought it was madness. And I remember, you know, I was very, you know, very apologetic. But it was like, well, <laughs> so, so wait, so that actor was known for being known known as gay in the UK, but not in the US. Or how did the publicist not know? I don't know. But, <laughs> but for me, because of the way my mind works, is that I couldn't, I didn't understand why someone would not want to be open about it. You know, I just sort of, it, but only because that was just, a, I just thought, well, it would be, I'd be so unhappy otherwise. 
but everyone's different you know everyone's different yeah and and I guess we just need to respect that you know for some people will just take time and it's you know it should be their prerogative it shouldn't be the prerogative of a newspaper that's for sure well no it shouldn't be that no or or someone outing the person (laughs) they're publishing (laughs) were they understanding when it happened did you apologize (laughs) I apologize yeah yeah they were on they were okay they weren't they weren't too miffed (laughs) oh no they were quite miffed okay (laughs) and they just needed to get over it to be honest (laughs) fair enough um right it's time for our lessons in love segment so this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something valuable that they've learned about relationships from their previous experiences so what would your lesson in love be for us today well quite often we can because of our childhood normally attachment stuff blah 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 we'll enmesh with with the person that we're going out with it normally tends to happen quite quickly. If it's going to happen, mm. it happens instantly. The, the the thing, and we don't want that. What what we want is to walk alongside the person. And it's a lot more healthy and um, fulfilling and peaceful and joyous to walk alongside our partner rather than literally imagine you don't want to be walking you know a three-legged race do you because you don't it's different it, it that's basically it mm. a lot easier and more fun for a longer period of time to walk next to each other rather than do a three-legged race mm. it might be fun for 100 yards but then it just gets very very boring mm. I guess do you mean it ha- it's really important to have autonomy and, and not kind of slip into that trap of codependency and sort yeah. of just becoming one person? Yes. Autonomy and boundaries are, actually, are a really beautiful thing. If we haven't learned it as kids, it's going to take a while for us to learn that that is what healthy love is. Um, mm. But if you find yourself in very up and down relationships, swings and roundabouts, I love them, I don't want to be with them, I love them, I don't want to be with them. This normally will mean that there's entrenchment and lack of boundaries um, and lack of, and you, and, and to change that, we have to look at ourselves and look at how we can augment change, yeah. Mm, yeah, I think that's so important. It's so important to feel like you have your independence in a relationship and not feel like, and also not feel afraid to assert your own needs and your own boundaries and and be selfish sometimes yeah I mean it's very there's a very very good book called the joys of being selfish and um and I forget the name of the author now but she really really knows her stuff yeah Michelle she she came on the podcast actually um yeah she came she's brilliant it's a really good book I highly recommend that yeah she's worked out she's worked on her shit that's it for today thank you so much for listening if you're a new listener to this show you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify acast or anywhere else you can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us keep up with everything to do with the show on instagram just search millennial love see you soon
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.